we have been studying over the last several weeks some very important and ignored principles that God has left us in his book. It might surprise us to know that God didn't promise us always a shout and a hoop and all of that. He did say he'd bless us. But sometimes we misinterpret what blessings are. But he did promise us ways in which we could fundamentally be sound in him. Things that a church ought to have from its membership. And once getting that from its membership, then this membership could disperse it then to those that are outside. I think perhaps this is one of the failings of the church. Did you know that the old temple was destroyed in the old ways passed away and the priests lost their priesthood simply because they outlived their usefulness? All you got to do is search it and see in the Bible that they forgot what they was there for. They forgot the reason that there was a temple. They forgot the reason there was priests. They forgot the reason that they were individuals that coming to the temple. They forgot that reason. And so God took it away from them. And once taking that away from them, destroyed their temple, dispersed them, and then wanted to touch humanity again, and so he came in the form of Jesus Christ. He lived and died, of course, and uh, did some wonderful things and left some beautiful things, ascended into the heavens, and then came on the day of Pentecost, and there he birthed the church, and he gave them regulations and governments and all of this, to be able then to touch a world that the Old Testament church or ecclesia uh, could not do. And uh, we, in a sense, as a church, have maybe, in a sense, lost sight of our reason for being a church. I'm going to talk to the local assembly simply because it's hard for us to imagine outside of that. But as far as God's church is concerned, it's worldwide. But our reason for existence is to be able to make an impact on the corner of the vineyard that we are working in, which happens to be Hardin County, Pope County, and whatever we can reach. Our reason for existence is to make an impact on them, is to show them that God is still alive and lives in his people. And our reason for being here, of course, is to intercede and pray for lives that they might be saved and uh, be a birthing chamber for souls and be a comfort to lives. You see, church is not just to come and enjoy ourselves. Church is to learn how to be better Christians, how to be better, better witnesses, and what God really expects. So when you get into that, of course, to the mind that is not spiritual, you get into some dull, boring teachings. And, of course, that is wrong. It is those teachings that really give you a foundation in which you can base your enjoyment on and your shouting and all of this stuff. Because it's not the shout that's going to solidify you. You're going to feel good, but if you've got no foundation under you, you're going to go home and the shout's going to be gone and you've got nothing to live on. And so shouting is good and that's fine, but God has, in His Bible, in His New Testament, He has set forth... Certain things that a church ought to be, and we have dealt with them. And I would probably embarrass you, and I would be embarrassed 
if I asked you how much of that you remember. See, I've always asked you to make notes. Uh, some of you are maybe like me. You're not good at making notes, but you can make them. I've learned that. You can make them enough that you know what you wrote down and what you got out of that. If you don't make them, and then I have admonished individuals that if they was not here, even if they were here, that it would be good if they just simply get a tape and use that as a study of their own. Because you're going to hear a lot of things over and over from the tape that you don't register in your, your mind. I have taught on this quite often in different churches, and I find myself in areas where I get new things as I go over it each time, new additions, until I've almost wrote up some of the spaces that I've left uh, in between what I'd written before. But we had dealt with church government and church discipline. All of those are important. And in church government, and I'm going to briefly go over those, and uh, like I said, these are studies of your own. If you do not go and study these things out, there's no possible way you can grasp or get a hold of everything that is said that God wants uh, during our few nights of teaching. Talking about church government and church discipline. And in church government, we studied what the church actually is. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. That is a living, breathing thing made up of many members. And this church was instituted by Jesus Christ. No organization brought this church into existence. And no organization has any right to begin to dictate to it. But also we studied about the church ministries, what it consists of, which was deacons and elders and their functions. What was the function of a deacon? What's the function of elders? And then we studied principles of church government. And this is to stress the spiritual life and the health of the church. Did you know that we have sick bodies as far as the body of Christ is concerned? Are you aware that the body of Christ is sick? Amen? Are you aware that it is crippled? Are you aware that it drags along most of the time limping because our our one-handed, our one-eyed, because some of the members are not present to do their job and to take up their space? Are you aware of that? Are you aware that that limits the body of Christ, that hinders the body of Christ? Well, it does. And so a principle to church government is to stress the spiritual life and health of the church as the most important thing in a church and in our lives. Right. Takes preeminence over our job. Takes preeminence over our family. Of course, you'll have no problem with your family as far as that's concerned if your life is lived according to God. That's not to say you won't have any problems. They'll just not be problems that will get you down. Then there's foundations of spiritual government. There's first quality. You have to have something to work with, and it has to be quality stuff. And then it's procedure. Now, over the years, I have found out that five to ten years it takes to establish the core of a church. The least is five. And sometimes it takes ten years to get the core of a church. I mean, something that would get together in unity as a body that would then attract, like a magnet, other individuals. Because you're going to find individuals coming, and they're not fitting, and they go. You find others coming, 
not necessarily interested in what's going on and they go and some come and they stay and uh, this is a process in which Paul had to put up with and his establishing churches had to write to them and so on so first you find something to build to and then there's a procedure on how you build it you have to be careful how you build it and then there's a condition that is needed in a church and then you have to find a method to meet that condition and then there's an organism and then after the organism then there's an organization you begin to organize the church as it ought to be organized and then there's principles of church government and the cautions that we studied concerning what's happening in the church first off there must be order kept and there must be a balance kept there must be a balance of teaching there must be a balance of anointed preaching there must be a balance of uh, whatever there is can't get out of balance and there has to be order in the church now order simply comes from leadership yes amen I'll deal more with that but there's three different types of churches made up. There's one that has the, uh, the democracy type of government, and that's where the people rule. That's where the people tell the pastor what to do and when to do it and how to do it and all that. And that's a democracy set up, which is against God. Then there's a monarchy where one man is the ruler. Nobody else is involved in it at all. And then, of course, the way God set it up, that's a theocracy, and that's ruled divinely through elders and through deacons and then we talked about a healthy church government a leader spending and investing himself and his vision and his doctrine and maturing and putting an end to key men and women that are of the same heart and mind as he is in other words you cannot build something if people do not see the vision of the pastor if he can't introduce that vision to you and mature you enough in that and if the man himself does not invest himself in it he's got to give himself fully and wholly at all times he's got to be an individual that prayers prays an individual that studies an individual that is concerned about lives and concerned about the maturity of lives and the only way you can do that is invest yourself in the work of God and then try your best to invest your vision into men and women that think like you do and see like you do according to the Bible. If they don't share these and they still attach themselves to the body, it makes for an unhealthy body. In other words, when you have individuals, especially in leadership, but individuals everywhere where you attach yourself to the body and you don't share the vision, you don't share the doctrine, you don't share uh, maturing individuals, well, then that creates, of course, an unhealthy body. An unhealthy body, of course, cannot function like a healthy body. Let your body get sick and you'll find that out. And that's the same way it is with a spiritual body. When it's sick, you can't function like a healthy body functions. Then we got into something that that's where angels fear to tread, and that's church discipline. Not very many people know about it. Not very many people care to know about it. All right? And we got into the meaning and need of church discipline. God considers discipline necessary because when we submit to the rules of the kingdom of God, we receive the very nature and character of Christ. And that's what he's looking for, the very nature and character of him in our lives. 
and in our church. And then when we offend the church, of course, God considers uh, discipline necessary because when we offend the church, its members, especially its leadership, we offend Christ. And then he thinks discipline is necessary because sin and rebellion is contagious. You find one member that gets out of step, one member that gets a little bit on their high horse, and you're going to find that it don't take long for that member to spread some infectious disease. And it won't be long until not only are they talking, but so is the individual because they've caught the same disease. And then you have havoc in the church. You have disunity in the church. You have an unhealthy body. And you have a body that has no outreach. See, all of these things were necessary for us to know because we can put a stop to it. You see, there would be no gossipers if there wasn't any garbage cans for them to unload their stuff in. they just disappear. Gossipers only exist because they can unload on somebody else. You become sometimes a target for them. You don't listen, they can't gossip. Amen? Preach it, Brother Oshkosh. And we learn the difference between discipline and punishment. Now, discipline is a form of training. That's why Jesus disciplined his disciples. That's why the Apostle Paul set forth a form of discipline is to train individuals. That's what discipline is in our house with our kids. Most of the time we punish them, we don't discipline them. I mean, a lot of times kids get a whip and they don't have the slightest idea what it's for. Because, see, that, that's training. We train them to know right from wrong, and we discipline when they're wrong. And that way they understand what it's about. That's training. That's the same way it is in the house of God. When we have some little snotty-nosed brats running around, we try our best to discipline them. We try our best to train them in what's acceptable in God's sight and what's not acceptable. And, of course, that again falls upon the shoulders of leadership. It would be nice it was backed up by uh, most of the congregation, but sometimes that's not the case. All right, now punishment is to inflict pain. I mean, you're just going to inflict the pain. You're just going to whip because you're angry or you're mad, and so you do it and nothing is ever explained. The child has not ever talked anything. Now, I have problems with my son because he wants to talk, and that's all he wants to do. And kids sometimes don't understand talk. I mean, they have to have a little whack here and there to make them understand what you're talking about. But that's long since gone out. You know, mom and dad's old fogies. We didn't know how to raise them. Okay. So they do need discipline. The Bible tells you that, not just me. I mean, if you want to be a Christian, you want to be do what the Bible says, all right? And so the Bible tells you that discipline is necessary. It tells you not to enable your children. I mean, you don't like what they're doing. You don't enable them to do it. You try your best to stop them. Okay, and then what offenses require church discipline? And that's doctrinal offenses, and we didn't deal much with that because there's not too much of that in our uh, neighborhood, our neck of the woods. But then there was behavioral offenses, 1 Corinthians 5.17. You need to read that again. And the main one was the disorderly. These were individuals violating all the teachings of the assembly, saying, these things don't apply to me. And uh, then there's gospers in that and busybodies making their own rules because God tells them what to do, not man. Okay? I wish we could understand uh, that God set in motion this wonderful, beautiful body of Christ and membership, and he made leaders, and he made them for a reason. All right? 
He made them for a reason. He places upon them uh, responsibilities. And these individuals face some dire consequences someplace down the road, if not immediately, if they don't do what they're called to do. And so with love and concern for the body of Christ, then they do their best to get rid of all of these things because these things, again, are contagious. Individuals become gospers. They become busybodies. And then the first thing that's all they want to do is go around to tear down or try to destroy somebody else. Don't get caught in that, saints. Don't get caught in it. It will drag you down and drag your church down and you are inflicting a disease upon your very body. look at me like that because that's what you're doing that's just like taking a dose of poison right in your own body that's just like taking a hatchet and hitting your leg and cutting it because that's part of you and you are mutilating it and you are downgrading it so best thing to do is when somebody comes around with something to offer about somebody else is tell them, let's go see that individual and let's talk it over. Yes. You'll find out they don't want to see that individual. I had somebody not too long ago come in twice with individuals uh, with a case against somebody and each time I said, where is the individual you have a case against? Because I said, I don't want to hear anything against anybody unless that individual is present to defend themselves. That individual is on trial and he's not even there. And we do that a lot, saints. They're on trial and they're not even there to defend themselves. Maybe somebody said they said something and they didn't say it. How are they going to defend themselves? How are they going to say, this is the way I measured I've always said, you got any problem with me, my office is open, my house is open, come and talk to me about it. If I have been offensive to you, if I've said something that hurts you, if I've done something that doesn't seem right, you can come to talk to me about it. Okay? Don't talk to anybody else first. But you really are not supposed to do anything to an elder without two or three witnesses. That's Bible. <laughs> All right. So if you got two or three disgruntled individuals, but I'll wave, well, I'll wave that. Okay? I'll listen to what you have to say. You don't have to get somebody else on your side. You don't have to go around and get somebody else to agree with you. All you've got to do is invite me to my trial, and I'll invite you to yours. Amen. Is that doing all right? Amen. I mean, that's a real simple thing. Just say we're going to have a trial. Brother Hostglow's on trial. He's got to be present. He needs a lawyer. Well, I got one. The comforter, a lawyer, one that helps me. So have you, all right? But these are things that go on where uh, we need to understand. Like I said, elders who sin against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, I was fully aware that when I was presenting these things, uh, that they probably wouldn't get the response that they needed from our life because we wouldn't grasp the situation enough to realize that it required some study on our part. And I was pretty sure that a lot of it would just go in one ear and out the other. 
But these lessons were presented for our learning and they were presented for our admonition to show the mindset of people in congregations today. I opened up the way people think and the way they act and to show how much alike that we were to Israel of old when they said in Judges 17, 6, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And just how alike we are and to show how impossible it is to have the things we pray for if we continue with this same mindset. I don't want you to be disappointed, saints, in things that's not happening in your life and in things that's not happening in your family and things that's not happening as you ask. I don't want you to be disappointed because I want you to realize that there's just a sprinkling of what God in His mercy gives us. We have not gotten together. We have not learned. We have not studied. We have not come together as a healthy body. And it's only healthy body is going to produce these things. We'll have a little healing here or there or something like this. But how many of you have really prayed for something and somebody a long time and it's never happened? And we're part of a body of Christ. Well, we're not a healthy body. If we were a healthy body, these things would happen right. if we knew how to pray for them. Amen. So I thought maybe I would get into that before we got into the seriousness of the lesson and we're going to study now there again these things are very important that we understand and I'm going to read to you why they are in the fourth chapter of Ephesians I want to begin at the first verse but we're going to really uh, put our remarks mostly on the twelfth verse but there is something here I would like for us to get before I get to that uh, when we begin that fourth chapter of Ephesians notice the apostle Paul says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called now he was talking to the Ephesian church and each one of them he knew had a calling sometime what it was only that individual knows but he said I want you to walk worthy of that vocation that you're called and he tells you how to do it with with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bound of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, a ministered on grace, grace teaching on Sunday night, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If you wasn't here, get the tape. You need to hear it. Not because I preach it, but because it's the truth. Amen. All right. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, which is, which is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, I want to make a correction here, and I want you to mark it. Jesus did not go to hell. That's right. All right? He didn't go to hell. He didn't ascend. That's not what he was talking about, and I want to prove it to you. I want to go to Psalms, the 139th chapter, and I want to read you something that would... Uh, really knock the props out of individuals 
who feel like they're Christians and still abort their children. And he'll also answer what he's doing here. He that descended is the same that ascended far above all into heaven so that he might feel all in all. Now listen to what Psalmist David has to say in the 13th verse. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when it was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. This is where he ascended into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now listen to what he says. Thine eyes did see my substance, being yet imperfect, and in the book of my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When there wasn't any members. From the time it was a gob, as they say. God saw it as an individual. Let's read it again. Thine eyes did see my substance being yet imperfect, and in the book of all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! So you have two mysteries there, solved by the lips of the psalmist David when he was crying out in his distress, and God revealed unto him. And so Jesus came in lower parts of the earth, that is in his mother's womb, then he descended into the heavens, and that one that descended is the same one that ascended into the heaven that he might feel all in all. Amen. Now that I'm coming to the scripture that I want to use. And he gave, after all of this, he gave some, he's talking about churches, he gave some churches apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. That's what is known as the fivefold ministry. Now this is what they're for. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now there is no comma in the original. That is all saying the same thing. These individuals here are to be active in the church and their ministry is to perfect the saints for the work of the saints' ministry. In other words, the saints has a ministry. Amen. How many of you know you have, you've got a ministry? How many of you know it goes far beyond your job? Amen. Amen? Now, to a lot of us, our job is our ministry. That's not right. And should never be. But then, this is what these individuals, and, and if we don't recognize them as part of the body of Christ, simply means then that the saints will not be perfected. Because each one of these has a vital part in the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. Tell, also for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth, once we receive this, once we mature, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
are the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, every joint supplies, every individual, according to the effectual workings and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now that is a great dissertation of what the church is supposed to be when it's mature. So it's necessary we understand that these individuals, these offices are still in effect and all of them are necessary for the perfecting of the saints. So the saints will understand they have a work and they have a ministry and also edifying of the body of Christ. And this is all and everything I've read talks to coming together, the unity of the truth, every individual functioning in what its capacity is supposed to do, functioning in its fullness, doing what it's supposed to do all the time, in every time and every way, doing what it's supposed to do, not letting somebody else having to take up the slack of what you're supposed Amen. to be doing. Amen. You want your church to walk, you want it to run, you want it to be able to speak, you want it to grow up, then you have to realize you are a vital, integral part of that. Amen. Regardless of whether you're just a child of a few months or whether you're an old-timer of several years, you have a part if God placed you in the body as it pleases Him. And He tells us what to do so that this body would walk, edify of itself in love, be able to make an impact. Now, so we'll understand that these are gifts to the church. These are things that God has set and gave to churches. Now, there's a possibility, and there are some churches that I know of, has every one of these ministries functioning in their church, and these are growing churches. Amen. Because they are functioning in their capacity and they are perfecting or maturing the saints. What one does not supply, the other one can. So there's a balance there. And some individuals, of course, can function in more uh, than one of these ministries. They have a primary ministry, of course, but sometimes they are forced uh, by the failures of others. They are forced to function in other ministries. Some apostles, some functioning in apostleship can function as prophets or uh, all of them for that matter. Of course, some cannot. Some get outside of their, their major theme and they can't function in it. The teacher sometimes tries to pastor. He can't pastor. Some of them can, some of them can't. But we need to understand what our calling is, major in that calling, and then be ready if God allows us then to uh, use another office every once in a while. And we want to you to understand that this is a necessity, that we understand this, that we understand their calling, and that we understand that these must function themselves. The ministry must understand that they must function themselves. And then the saints of God must understand that they need these ministries or these gifts that God has given them. Amen. Myself a gift, but God says I am. Maybe you haven't considered it either, but God says I am. No, Grandma used to give me a lot of gifts I didn't like. Okay? But I took them because I respected her. Sure. The five-fold ministry, it's not to me, I mean, all five things are above me, right? 
You couldn't. No, that's what it's all about. Is 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 to take your teaching, utilize it, take it out, and and use it. See, that's what it's talking about, for the ministry of the saints. But there is a perfecting it. That don't mean that we have to wait until we know everything about it. But that means we have to understand that there are, are steps in maturity. Right. That we learn. We go ahead. We function in our ministry. We learn we do have a ministry. We learn what it is. And then we begin to do it. And then we grow in this. Yes. And the more we grow, the more productive we are. Yes. Okay? What? Well, if God called you to be that, that's fine because knots are important. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so you'll have to decide. I can't tell you what you are. <laughs> but if God says that's what you are. But no, a person is not out of place to find out what God wants out of them and begin to try to do those things and by the same token allow God through His Word from here uh, through the Bible study and through prayer to let God perfect or mature this. It's an everyday thing. It's everyday living it and learning it. And it would be terrible if Samantha stopped learning right now. And there's a lot of saints that quit learning immediately after they're born. Because they didn't know much different. They've got everything they need. And then you've got saints that grow so far and so much until it begins to demand out of them. And uh, that's kind of like a teenager when it comes. They know everything, but they don't know how to really take care of themselves. Right at the very time when they really need somebody to teach them, they know everything, and so you can't teach them. Right about the time when moms and dads really need to be rough on them, we slacken our hold on them many times. Okay? Now then, so it's important that you understand we're going to deal with these as to what they are. Try your best to hook on. Try your best to get, get, your, get your car on the train. Try your best not to get sidetracked. And we'll do our best to uh, walk you through this so you might understand if an apostle or if a prophet or if an evangelist or if a pastor or teacher might be in your midst, will I recognize them and what do they do for me? We have some ministries here in the church and a lot of you don't even know what they are. Okay. Now, we're going to first start with the ministry of the Apostle. Now, if you were here, Brother Green gave quite a dissertation on that, and I'm not going to dwell in that very long as to what Apostle can consist of, but I do want to cover some points. According to the Bible Dictionary, an Apostle is one chosen and sent with a special commission as a fully authorized representative of the sender. In other words, God Almighty is the one that picks the office for the individual and gives it to them. They have no say in it. 
I mean, uh, I know ministers that said, I want to be this and I want to be that and I want to be something else. But there again, God chooses what you are. God chooses what, whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, whether you're all of them or some of them, God chooses your major. Now, in college, you have a major and a minor. And every, every minister has a major. He should know what he's supposed to do, should know his calling, should know his direction. And that is a special commission fuller, fully authorized as a representative of the sender. In other words, God sends them and they become a representative of him. So see, when you don't receive these individuals, you don't receive God. If you can find nothing wrong with their life and nothing wrong with their teachings, and yet you buck up against it because it goes against your grain, then you are rejecting God. Not that we are God, but we are representatives of what God said we were, and you're rejecting the one that sent them. Now, to... In order to understand it, we want to divide the New Testament scriptures referring to apostles in separate categories. And here's where you need to write down some scriptures. Number one, it talks about the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 3.1 Now, this is an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. He was a teacher. He was a pastor. He was just about everything. But at this place, he was... Uh, called the apostle and the high priest of our profession. He was the beginner of it. And this describes his relationship to God, and this describes his ministry to man. And you want to hear a little bit more about it, you've got to turn over to John 17 and read from 3rd verse to the 8th verse. Tell you a little bit more about the apostleship and profession of Jesus Christ. And then it mentions the 12 apostles of the church. Now these have a separate entity of themselves. And you'll find that in Luke 6.13. They were personally chosen by Christ when he was here bodily, and he also named them apostles. They were called disciples, and then he called them apostles. The disciples are learners. They are learned individuals. And then after they have learned, then they become apostles. You see, a novice cannot be an apostle because they are not learned individuals. Somebody that is in the ministry a few months or even a few years, depending on their growth there, uh, cannot be an apostle because you have to learn first. You have to be a follower and a disciple, and you have to be a learner. And that requires a, a few years, and depending on how fast a learner you are, and depending on just how serious you are with your relationship with God. But they were sent to bear in what Jesus taught them openly, and what they had learned from Him. And now these twelve are referred to as the twelve apostles of the Lamb, who are the foundations of the New Jerusalem. They have a specific place in the New Jerusalem. You'll find that in Revelations 21 and 14. And they also seem to correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel. And they seem to have a permanent identity throughout all the ages. In other words, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Then the Bible talks about false apostles. He talks about those that say they're apostles and are not. Those that take up the office of an apostle 
and they are actually not apostles. There's two scriptures you can read concerning that, and you might want to just put before that so you'll know what you're talking about, false apostles. You'll find this in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, and you'll find it in Revelations 2, 2. Now, there were apostles to the Gentiles. Paul refers to himself as an apostle over 20 times. He was specifically called out to be an apostle for the Gentiles, and the only one uh, recorded, first man recorded, who made any systematic missionary efforts to evangelize the churches. Talks about the Apostle Paul in Romans 11:13. 11, 11:13. 13. 11, 13. And Acts 9.15. And then we're coming to the scripture we just read. The apostles of the church. This is different. They have a different ministry than the twelve apostles. And of course you know that scripture, Ephesians 4, 11, 13, and they were to be a continuing ministry throughout the churches. Now there is uh, a, a teaching going around that there is no need for the apostles, no need for the prophets, and no need uh, for anything but the pastors, evangelists, and teachers that the other has already been done away with, but that teaching is erroneous. If you'll... Notice what the scripture says, what apostles and all of those, those are for, that's for the perfecting of the saints. And the saints are not perfected yet, so naturally they still need apostles and prophets as well as the other. Nowhere is it ever taught in the Bible that the, this ministry of an apostle would cease, rather that it's needed until the bride is perfected and presented to her husband. And we need every gift that God has given to the church. Now, there are those in the New Testament apart from the twelve. I want you to understand that, that we refer to as the twelve apostles. Barnabas and Paul, which counted apostles in Acts 14 and 4. And even Titus, which is a book we ministered from Sunday night. Even Titus in 1.5 seemed to be involved in apostolic ministry. He was setting things in order and he was establishing new churches. Also, Savannah and Timothy are often mentioned in the opening of Paul's letters as he travels with him. They were being trained and functioning in the fathering and caring for the churches. You see, they were being trained and they were being trained to function to father churches. Paul was going to leave before long. And so he talks to Timothy and he talks to Titus and Sylvanius and all of those and made them realize that somebody has to carry on the apostolic ministry that was there. Now in Revelations 2.2, there were still those that claimed to be apostles and are not. John, of course, at that time was the only one of the twelve left. Now there are others, so I'll go slow so you can write it down. These are mention of other apostles. Romans 16:7. You can see how long it would take if I would go and read all those scriptures. That's why I said it's important that you make this a Bible study yourself. Galatians 1:19. 1 Thessalonians 1:1 1, 1, and 2:6. 
And of course, as always, you have imitators of apostles. Those who never qualify for the office but put that office on themselves. You'll find a mention of them in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 to 6. Philippians 2.25 2 Corinthians 8.16-23 Now the word apostle applies to about 25 persons. Sometimes it's mistranslated messenger. But it comes from the same original Greek word that simply means apostle. Now to understand the present day ministry of an apostle... We have to understand the function of the original apostle because that's all we've got in the Bible to tell us uh, what happens. And to understand the present-day ministry, we have to understand what happened to the original and what they were. And it would help us to ask the questions concerning these categories. Who sent them, where they were sent, and what was their commission? Who sent them, where they were sent, and what was their commission? And in answering this, the twelve apostles was called by Christ in his bodily presence and trained by him, so he sent them. They were sent to the church worldwide, and until the end of the age seemed to have an identity in eternity. Now their special job was to lay the foundation that Christ taught them for the entire church age. They interpreted the Old Testament scriptures and established a new covenant doctrine. Ephesians 2.20 says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Their writings were inspired. They were preserved as gospel. Gospel. They were the link between the new and the old covenant. They had a position, spiritual commission. They helped the young church steady during its infancy and matured it into maturity. They were the fathers of the church universal. They also were used to set in order the early structure of the church, provide for its continuity and its perfectiveness. Effectiveness. They outlined the qualifications of those that would minister. They took the initiative to see that proper leadership was chosen when leaders were needed. They baptized the converts, they preached the gospel, and it taught doctrine. Now notice now, the ministry of an apostle today is to ground the church in truth that they be not swayed by winds of doctrine. An apostle ministers foundation truths to the body. He does not always expect a big hooray and very seldom an amen. Because he is establishing foundation truth and ministering foundation truth to the body. Regardless of how old that body is, without the function of the apostle, it does not get its foundational truth. They love God's people wherever they find them, and they desire to further establish these individuals in the Lord. You go into a church, 
You see, individuals are not as far along as they ought to be, do not understand the foundation, then these individuals are not satisfied until some way, if they can find an opening, they will try their best to establish them in the Lord. This makes them unpopular in some churches. This makes doors closed to them in some churches. Because some churches are satisfied with their status quo. They do not understand that they are babes in Christ. They do not understand that they are not mature. They do not understand they cannot be mature without all these members, uh, all these uh, elders and all these fivefold ministries. They don't understand that and you upset their apple cart and you undermine some of their theology and you get next to them in their way of living and they don't like it and they don't want to be disturbed. But first off then they talk to the pastor and say, we don't want that guy here. I have experienced some of that myself. And I also experienced places where we, I went where they are, are really desiring that. They want that. They understand it. And their vision is to the church at large, at least more than just one particular church. A pastor, and that's his calling, has in mind his church. Has in mind his people. An apostle, by the same token, understands that. But he is not satisfied unless he is also and he reaching out to other individuals. You ought to allow that to happen. You ought to be selfish. Okay? And their influence may spread far and wide as pastors call upon them for assistance in their local works. We've had that to happen. And we still have. They call on the telephone, under, wanting to understand, what do we do? How do we handle this problem? Will you come and help us in these areas? We have been limited in that area. I'm telling you that. I'm, I'm making known to you what I feel like my ministry is, and that doesn't put me up any higher than anybody else. But we've been, have been limited in that area. That's why God said, I'm going to change your ministry for a season. And He has and He did, but the season's about over. They seek to preserve unity within the churches. If there's anything an apostle wants, and that's unity in the body of Christ. Amen. If there's anything that, that gets under his sensitive skin, it's this unity in the body of Christ. It hurts. It bothers. Keeps him awake nights. Yes. Keeps him praying. Keeps him concerned. Because that's part of his job is to see some way that there's unity within the churches and cooperation among churches. Paul was very conscious about that, and he sought to bring the brethren together. He told them about their divisions. He said, some of them say, you're a Peter, and some of Cephas, and some of, of this one, and some of that one. And he pointed them to the fact that they had to be of Christ. The apostle also was concerned with fathering other ministries, as Paul and Barnabas opened the way and helped train Mark, Timothy, and others. In other words, when an apostle sees a ministry that is in somebody need to be developed, it is within his heart that he does this. Right. Right. He does his best to father this ministry. He does his best to mature this ministry. He gives it every opportunity in the world to learn how to get in and out of the pulpit. And if anything is going erroneous, he is father enough to talk to them about it. 
They also be concerned with leading other members of different flocks into their own personal function of the body. In other words, there's members in churches that do not really know where they belong in Christ. And there's been times when actually you, we have spoken to them, laid hands on them, and told them their function in the body of Christ, and prophesied over them, and established them, and set them in their place of ministry. They may also pioneer new churches, as Paul and uh, Barnabas did. The Bible doesn't record an uh, effort of the church 12 much as it does Paul's activities, but we do know, uh, have some information about them pioneering some churches. It seems that some of the apostles function more in the pioneer realm than others. Now, our present-day term, and we're about through here, so hang on to your, your railroad car. Our present-day term, missionary, is not directly a scriptural term. It's used to refer to anybody from the office typist to an apostle, and this is not right. Missionary usually is apostle. When we talk about missionaries, probably most missionaries, because they establish new works and move one from one place to another at times, are functioning as an apostle. Yeah. We have missionaries here that's functioning as, a, as an apostle, and we don't even recognize that. Because they're doing the work outside of what we can see and understand. And we have missionaries come in our midst, and we feel like all they're wanting is money. They're functioning in, in, in a, a, an apostle ministry, right. and they need money. Paul said he did. They need money to function in this area. And so we ought to be aware that when one walks in and he's a, and he's a missionary worthy, we ought to be aware that, hey, we have an apostle in our midst. We have somebody that deserves our respect, that deserves our faithfulness in giving them. A ministry that, and works that follow a minister is proof of his apostleship. This applies in all ministries. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 9 and 2. And I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to close. 1 Corinthians, aren't you glad? 1 Corinthians 9 and 2. 1 Corinthians 9 and 2. What he's trying to say is if uh, a man is an apostle, then you're going to see some results of some of the things that I've said in his life. And he's not doing it for money, and he's not doing it for recognition. He's doing it because it is a ministry laid upon him. And Paul said, it will be unto me if I don't do it. And even if I don't do it willingly, he said, so I'm not going to do it unwillingly. I'm going to do it willingly. I haven't got there yet. 1 Corinthians 9 and 2. Listen to what he says. Let's start at number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my are not ye my work in the Lord? I was challenged one time on the fact that you can't be an apostle, and I never attributed that name to me. You understand that? I don't go around saying I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't do that. I just know what I am. I just know how I'm supposed to function. But one rambunctious young man said, You can't be because you've never saw the Lord. And I said, Well, I saw him just the same as the apostle Paul did. Well, how did you do that? The apostle Paul saw him in a vision. I saw him in a vision too. I didn't see him in his glory and his brightness like the apostle Paul did. But I saw him in his suffering. I got, a, I got a vision of him. I looked on him. I saw his face. I watched it puff from the 
sadistic hand of man, crown of, crown of thorns on his head, bleeding from the vascular area of his scalp. I saw his face that looked less than human, for they'd plummeted and spit on it. I watched him walk down the aisle of the First Apostolic Church, not knowing who he was. This was just prior to my healing. And he walked by me, and that's when I said, God, kind of a worm am I, you're not going to heal me. And then he says, turn around and look at me now. Not only did I see his face battered and bruised, but I saw his back lacerated to ribbons. Not one single solitary piece of flesh was there. Stuff oozing from that, flies and everything else on it. Yes, I saw the voice. And the words come by his stripes. Ye were healed. And it wasn't long after that that I was healed. Saints healed for a purpose. Healed for a reason. There's a reason I'm alive. There's other people that have sought God as much or more and believe, maybe more than I have, that's not alive. But I'm alive for a reason. I'm alive because of my ministry. I'm alive because I don't have any more sense than to try to do it. And to try to stay until God says go. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. In other words, individuals that he had touched, things that he had established, lives that he'd been responsible for, ministries that he'd been responsible for, those things spoke of themselves. Testimonies from churches that he had established and churches that he had went to and fought for, all of those spoke to him and he says the seal of his apostleship is in the people of the Lord. So if there's any questions on that, all you've got to do is look around and ask around and we can give you a whole lot of whole lot of whole lot of emphasis and a whole lot of people just fulfilling the plan of the Lord now then I've told you what I feel like my calling is but I will say this as we deal with these others I have found myself in occasions where I have to function in others I'm functioning one right now I'm functioning in the area of a pastor I have before I have functioned in the area of an evangelist I am right now functioning in the area of a teacher, at least trying to. That's not my major calling, and you can probably tell that. But I am functioning in that because this is important, and I feel like the pastor of the church ought to be the one that does it. Okay? I function in the area of a prophet. I've seen visions and revelations of the Lord. That's why I'm here. It's simply because I had a vision, and I heard people crying and heard people asking. Heard, in a sense, come over into Macedonia and help me. And the Lord says, I'll prove whether they want help or not. And we're here because God sent us, and we're here to prove whether people really want help or not. Individuals who said, we're not satisfied, we're not getting the teachings we need, we're, we're not getting foundational truths and all of this, and we want them. Now, some God's already proved to be large. That's right. And he's still working on others. Shall we stand?